Way out in the state of Utah in Grand County and San Juan. They dig the yellow stuff that makes the atom bomb. They do the uranium miners boogie. The uranium miners boogie. It's the uranium miners boogie. They dig digging all day long. You are listening to Men in Lead Aprons. Everything you might want to know about radiation, the good, the bad, and the not yet known. This is a regular podcast from the Columbia University Center for Radiological Research from the heart of New York City. And here are your hosts, Dr. Eric Hall and Dr. David Brenner. Hello, and uh, welcome back to Men in Lead Aprons, a series of podcasts from the Center for Radiological Research at Columbia University in New York City. This is episode 10, and today we will discuss superbugs and far UVC light. This is a relatively new project for our center, but entirely well-suited and appropriate since the problem is at the convergence of physics and biology. My name is Eric Hall, and for more than 20 years, I was director of the Center for Radiological Research. Let me introduce my fellow man in a lead apron, David Brenner, who is the current director of the Center. Good morning, David. So tell us, first of all, how you became so interested in superbugs, because back when I was director of the Center, it wasn't something we ever talked about. Oh, good morning, Eric. Uh, Yeah, the superbug uh, story here at the Center really started with a personal story of mine that uh, I had a, a... really close uh, friend uh, name of Paul Rice. We, we knew each other because we were fellow uh, soccer supporters, supported Liverpool together. So some years back, uh, Paul went into hospital for some uh, fairly minor surgery. And in fact, he developed a surgical site infection, a drug-resistant surgical site infection, and he passed away. I was extremely uh, stunned and... Uh, after a while, I started to think, well, is there anything uh, that, that I could do, anything I could help with to try and remove this scourge? That's really the start of this story. So, David, before we get into any details, uh, can you tell us in simple terms what, example, what exactly is the nature and the magnitude of the problem posed by superbugs? Well, the, the superbug story really starts in the 1940s with the development of uh, penicillin and uh, basically drugs that could kill bacteria. So pretty shortly after the development of uh, penicillin, drug-resistant or penicillin-resistant bacteria emerged. So the penicillin was killing the bacteria that are uh, sensitive to penicillin, but other that made room for other uh, bacteria which were resistant to penicillin to emerge. So, of course, the drug companies started to develop new drugs which could kill these uh, drug-resistant bacteria. But then again, drug-resistant, uh, new drug-resistant bacteria emerged. And so we've got into ourselves into a vicious cycle, and that's there to this present day of uh, developing a new drug and then a drug-resistant bacteria emerging. This uh, vicious circle shows no sign of stopping. So there are all sorts of what are now called superbugs, which are the drug-resistant bacteria that are around today. And uh, MRSA, MRSA, as it's often called, is, is the most uh, common, but there are many others. And the prediction is that the whole superbug story is going to get considerably worse as, uh, as we move to the future. 
And the, the best estimates right now worldwide is that maybe 700,000 people a year are dying from uh, superbug-related infections. Now, that's a pretty big number, 700,000. The prediction for the year 2050, which is not so far in the future, is 10 million, 10 million people dying from drug-resistant bacteria. So it's a growing problem. So you think we're losing this war? I'm pretty sure we're losing this war. So what is the idea that to combat this? Well, we knew that there is actually one type of uh, treatment which kills every kind of microbe, whether they're drug-resistant or drug-sensitive, and that, that's ultraviolet light. And in fact, ultraviolet light is used greatly now to sterilize all sorts of uh, places, um, sur surgical theaters, for example. Overnight, they, they sterilize the room. All sorts of places, but one of the keys here is they are places where people are not because germicidal ultraviolet light is a health hazard. It causes uh, skin cancer, causes cataracts. So you can only use ultraviolet light to kill bugs when people are, are not around. And of course, we want to use it when people are around. So how do you manage to produce something that is germicidal but not damaging to humans? Well, you're right. We, we wanted the best of both worlds. We wanted type of UV, which had all the killing properties of uh, conventional germicidal UV, but wasn't a health hazard. And as you said at the beginning of this podcast, and that comes down to our physics background. We knew, uh, simply based on, on the physics, that there is a particular wavelength of ultraviolet light, which we believed was going to be safe for human exposure. So, so I, perhaps I need to talk about wavelengths a, a little bit. So most people know that different types of light, like visible light, and uh, x-rays and infrared light and ultraviolet light in some sense are all the same thing they're all different types of electromagnetic radiation but what makes them different one from another is their wavelength so radio waves for example with very very long uh, wavelengths x-rays have very very short wavelengths and ultraviolet light uh, is kind of next to visible light and having fairly uh, uh, short wavelengths and you probably have heard of UVA, UVB, UVC types of ultraviolet light in terms of sunburn. And the, the difference between those is simply that there are different wavelengths. So we were looking at a particular wavelength of ultraviolet light called far UVC, meaning that it's at the far end of the ultraviolet C spectrum. So what, why, why are we interested in that? Well, Far UVC light simply can't go very far in any biological materials. Essentially, it gets absorbed in proteins, and every biological material contains proteins. So we knew that this particular range of wavelengths wouldn't go very far in any biological material. So you, you might ask, well, how does, how does that fit into the story? Well, what, one thing that we knew was that all the, all the bugs we're trying to kill, um, all the bacteria, all the viruses that we'd, we'd love to kill, are very, very small indeed. And in fact, although all this far UVC light doesn't have very much uh, penetrating power, very much range, it certainly can penetrate a bacteria or a virus because they're really, really small. And if you want to go into numbers, uh, in size, they're less than a micrometer, a millionth of a, me a meter. So 
the ultraviolet light that we're looking at, this far UVC light, can certainly penetrate them. On the other hand, if we think about human beings and the, the external surface of a human being, well, primarily it's skin. And the surface of the skin, of all our skin, is, is actually a layer of dead cells. It's the, uh, the technical term is uh, stratum corneum, but it's a, it's a dead cell layer right on the surface of our skin. So what you're seeing on, on the very surface of your skin are dead cells. And they kind of get sloughed off eventually as, as we wash. But this far UVC light can't penetrate that. So it can't penetrate this layer of dead cells right at the surface of our skin. So that means it can't reach the, uh, the live cells deeper down in our skin. And so it, per se, can't cause uh, skin cancer. So the whole ball game is that bacteria and viruses are small, but humans have got a protective layer of dead cells which is thicker than the size of the bacteria and viruses. Is that, have I got it? You, you've got it quite right. And okay. um, So by and large, we're covered in skin. One, one part of our bodies that isn't covered in skin, of course, is, as you say, is, is the eye. But the eye is covered in, actually in a thin tear layer, uh, which contains uh, protein, and the far UVC light can't penetrate uh, that tear layer. So that was where we started from. We, we thought, okay, we can kill uh, bacteria and viruses uh, in the air, and in principle, we should be safe if, if humans are exposed. On the other hand, uh, theory is all, all well and good, but we really needed to uh, check it out. We needed to test it in practice. So we needed to do two things. We needed to figure out whether it actually did kill bacteria and viruses uh, in the air. And we also needed to figure out, well, is it really safe for uh, uh, human exposure? So those are the two things that we had to prove. I mean, we, we thought from a physics point of view that uh, these would be true, but uh, we absolutely had to demonstrate that. So what, what experiments have you done along these lines to show the efficacy and to show the safety? Well, let, let, me, let me start with the safety because actually I, I think that's the most important. I mean, if it's not safe, we, it's, it's obviously not a thing we could possibly use. So we started off with models of human skin. So you, you can actually grow human skin in, in a, in a, essentially in a test tube. And that's the, the techniques actually for growing human skin were developed by people who wanted to develop uh, grafts for uh, burns. But now you can take some skin cells and grow them up and they act exactly like uh, human skin. So we exposed these thin uh, layers of artificial human skin to our far UVC light, and as, as well as to conventional germicidal lamps. And we looked for evidence of damage, damage to the DNA, damage to the structure of the skin. And when we used the conventional germicidal UV light, we saw lots of this damage, as, as you would expect. But when we used the same exposure of our far UVC light, we saw none. And that was that was our first really strong indication that we were heading along the right lines. So then we went to at actually a uh, animal model, and what we used were, were mice. So there there is a type of mouse called the hairless mouse, which by a genetic mutation doesn't have any hair. So we used these mice, and we exposed them both to far UVC light and to uh, 
conventional germicidal light. And again, the same thing. We didn't see any evidence of damage with our far UVC light. The mice were just happy and fine. What about the eye? That's the other one that you'd want to check, I would think. Well, again, we, we've done the same thing. You, you've done some experiments with the same mice looking at their eyes. And again, the mice that were exposed to far UVC light, their, their eyes have been just fine. We, we, uh, we do all sorts of eye tests on them to make sure that their visual acuity is, is the same as it was before. And it is. So we don't see any evidence yet of damage to the eye. Uh, that said, uh, we're still working on safety studies, so I would say we're probably three-quarters way through what we want to do. But if we want to expose people to uh, far UVC light, we better be darn sure that uh, light is, is really safe. So the other side of the coin is, do you kill bacteria, viruses? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we wanted to do tests on drug-resistant bacteria that you find in hospitals, and we wanted to do tests on, on viruses. Uh, we wanted to see, in both cases, whether far UVC light would be as efficient at killing these bacteria or viruses, like the influenza virus, for example, as uh, conventional germicidal UV light. And the answer is that in all cases, uh, it's been just about the same. So we've done a lot of studies on MRSA. And MRSA, of course, is, is a drug-resistant bacteria. And the thing is here that far UVC light kills bacteria by a completely different mechanism from the way drugs kill bacteria. So in fact, UV light does not distinguish between drug-resistant and drug-sensitive bacteria. It kills them both uh, equally well. Our first paper, actually, on effects on viruses uh, in the air was actually accepted by a journal just this morning for publication, so we're, we're actually delighted about that. So in that particular experiment, what we did is we attached influenza viruses to uh, uh, water vapor droplets in air, and then we flowed these droplets with the uh, viruses attached to them uh, across a beam of uh, far UVC light, and look to see whether uh, they got killed by the far UVC light. And the answer is that they did, and they got killed just as efficiently as with conventional germicidal UV light. So David, would you like to list for us some of the uh, potential applications of far UVC? So first, certainly our, our very first thinking about this was, as I said before, was to do with surgical site infections to try and reduce the number of infections that happen after uh, surgery in, in a hospital. And uh, actually, it's a really big deal, the, uh, the issue of surgical site infections. So, I mean, depending on the surgery, anywhere from half a percent to 10 percent of all surgeries in the U.S. Uh, can develop surgical site infections. And on average, it's, it's a few percent of all surgeries. That corresponds to several hundred thousand people every year having surgical site infections. And people have estimated that the cost of the healthcare system in this country is anywhere from $3 billion to $10 billion a year. And perhaps more, well, not certainly more importantly, the number of deaths per year attributed to surgical site infection in this country is, uh, is somewhere like 8,000. So this is a major, major problem. And, of course, people have been working on trying to reduce the rate of surgical site infections for, for years. Um, and with, shall we say, limited success. 
I mean, basically what you want to do is to make everything in the surgical uh, room as, as clean as possible I mean, with as little bacteria as possible. So, for example, uh, one thing you can do is overnight you can turn on conventional ultraviolet lamps in a surgical theater and have them blasting everything overnight so that in the morning, hopefully, you'll have no bacteria in that room at all. That said, what happens is that people come into that room, not, not only the patient, but the, the surgical staff. And it's an unfortunate thing that surgical hospital staff, just like everybody else, actually has these bacteria on their skin. They have MRSA on their skin. So no matter how much you try and scrub up and wash as you go into a, a surgical theater, you are bringing MRSA and, and other bacteria into that room. So that's a, a really difficult situation. No matter how hard you work to clean the room, as soon as people come in, the bugs come in too. So our picture then is that we would like to have one of our 222 nanometer uh, far UVC lamps sitting above the, uh, the surgical wound as the, as the surgeon is operating so that the bacteria which are in the air and are falling onto the wound will get killed before they, uh, before they reach the wound. So we, w we want to have a clean zone right above the wound where we're going to kill all the bacteria and hopefully uh, not have any uh, bacteria actually reach the wound. And to an extent, we actually know that this is going to work in the sense that people have actually tried the same technique but with conventional germicidal light. Using that is, is kind of very inconvenient because all the staff in the room have to dress up and put protective eyewear and clothing on to protect themselves. So it really has not proved to be a practical approach. But when it has been used, on average, the rate of surgical site infections is down by about 80%. So it really does work. So what we would like to see is far UVC lamps used so that so you don't have all that inconvenience of having to don protective clothing and protective eyewear, but still have the advantages of, uh, of UVC killing. So we haven't yet tried this in a, in a hospital setting, and, but we're pretty confident that when we do, it will be successful. What about some other wider uh, uses? Yeah, so the, there are a lot of applications outside of the hospital, and they really tend to focus more on viruses than, than bacteria. But again, our far UVC light again, is just as good as conventional UV at killing viruses. So picture uh, a doctor's waiting room, for example. Now, there's going to be a lot of influenza viruses and TB bacteria, for example, floating around in the air. So if you could have some low-level far UVC lights in the ceiling cleansing the air in the room, you might well be able to protect against airborne infection, person-to-person -person infection of influenza or, or TB. So that's one application. You might think, for example, in uh, airports or airplanes where global infections are spread. If you could use the, this far UVC light safely, in an airport or in an airplane, perhaps we'll be able to prevent the spread of these uh, pandemics like H1N1, for example. And you can think of many other applications uh, in food preparation areas, for example, and 
I think as uh, as we've talked to people about this, people have come up with many, many different applications. And uh, yeah, everyone I talk to has a new application, which is which is rather pleasing. And you you have any thoughts, Eric? Well, well you their would uses like to... are legion, for they are many. Um, forgive my emphasis uh, that of a retired folk, but cruise ships are an obvious place to have these lamps to avoid the disaster of a norovirus uh, spread or schools to limit the spread of uh, influenza or food preparation areas to avoid the big problems you have every now and again with chicken, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Schools are one of the areas that I think about a lot, not only influenza, but something like measles, for example. But yeah, you can, uh, you can think of many, many applications uh, and hope that uh, these applications will, will come to be in, in the future. Well, I have another question, that, and that is producing these far UVC lights. Are there any problems about companies being unwilling to produce them or patents? Well, uh, let, let, let me say that you, how, how, do you, how do you make this far UVC light? Well, we, we use a technique called an eczema lamp. Now, eczema light, uh, it's possible that people in the audience would have heard of in the context of eye surgery. So Lasix surgery, which many people have had, uses an eczema laser to produce its light. So an eczema is, is actually an excited molecule, and when that de-excites, it produces light of one particular wavelength. So if you choose your molecules correctly, you can produce eczema lamps or eczema lasers with the right wavelength, and that and these lamps will only produce that particular wavelength. So our lamps contain a mixture of two, two uh, molecules, krypton and chlorine, and that makes a, that eczema makes a wavelength of 222 nanometers, which is exactly what we want. So eczema lamps are the technology that we want to use to generate this, this far UVC light. There are uh, eczema lamps, actually, you can buy off the shelf, but they're not quite appropriate for our application as, as such because all eczema lamps actually produce a little bit of higher wavelength light, and that is dangerous. That's in the wavelengths that can produce cataracts, can produce skin cancer, because it's more penetrating than our, uh, our far UVC light. So we need to filter those higher wavelengths out of our eczema lamp. And that's not too hard to do, but you really need to do that before you can uh, use this technology. So why are we still waiting? What is the next hurdle? Well, uh, there, there, are, there are a few. So if it's going to be used in a surgical setting, it undoubtedly has to get the approval of the FDA, the, the U.S. Food and Drug administration. So in order to do that, we really need to demonstrate safety really very, very well. And that's, well, that's not why we're doing our safety tests. We're doing our safety tests because we want to show that it's safe. But we need to get all our ducks in a row before we, before we can hope to get FDA approval for our technique. But I, I will say an, another part of the story is that uh, unless this gets accepted by the general public, it's not going to be used and not going to be useful. So, for example, this year I gave a TED talk uh, on far UVC light. Probably most most of the audience knows what a TED talk is. The TED is uh, is, is this wonderful uh, uh, series of lectures on all sorts of fascinating topics, which you can now go to the TED site and and view that ten minute talk. And I note it's now got 
had 800,000 views, so uh, uh, a lot of people have known about it. And it has been quite interesting, the sorts of comments that people have made when they've, when they've viewed this. And what, one of the biggest ones, and I think one of the most reasonable comments that people have made, have been about the issue of good, good bugs and bad bugs. So I've been talking about bad bugs. I've been talking about MRSA. I've been talking about influenza virus. And they're, they're uh, undoubtedly the bad bugs that we would like to get rid of. On the other hand, there are plenty of good bugs around. Uh, we hear a lot these days about the microbiome, and that's actually essential for our health. And the bacteria in our, in our gut, for example, are central to our, uh, our digestive health. So the question has, has arisen, well, are you, are you just going to be killing all bugs, um, irrespective of whether they're good bugs or bad bugs? And that's, that's a good question, and, and the answer is no, we're not going to be killing the good bugs. And the story with, with that is that bacteria that are in our gut, for example, well, the whole story with far UVC light is that they don't penetrate hardly at all, so they're not going to be able to penetrate into our skin and through our skin and get to the, uh, to the gut. So the bacteria in our gut and also in, in any part of our, the in, internal parts of our body not going to be damaged by uh, far UVC light. But then again, there is another part of the microbiome, which is actually the skin microbiome. That's, that's bacteria on the surface of our skin. And they're also needed for our, for our health. So lots of people are asking, well, what about the skin microbiome? Are you going to be uh, killing that? Is, that? is that going to be a problem? Well, we don't think it is. And the reason is that... Uh, Bacteria, when, when they arrive on surfaces, they don't just stay as surfaces. They actually adapt to life on a surface because life on a surface is pretty tough. It's going to get scraped off and washed off and all sorts of things. So the way they protect themselves is by emitting some sticky extracellular substances that hold bacteria together as a whole community, as a whole network. And these, these are called biofilms. So bacteria on, on the surface of our skin don't exist as individual bacteria. They exist in these huge clusters of biofilms. So they are going to basically self-protect each other from far UVC light. So the far UVC light may kill the very, very surface of the uh, biofilm, but any, of any part of the interior of the biofilm is going to be uh, impervious to, uh, to our far UVC light. And that said, I mean, everybody washes. If, if you walk down the corridors of, of our medical center, you will see uh, antibacterial soap available. So everybody is trying to wash off the bacteria on, our, on the surface of our skin, on our, uh, the, so the, the surface uh, microbiome. So the bacteria on the surface of our skin are pretty tough. And actually, they also know how to replace themselves when they get lost. And there, there is an indigenous skin microbiome that's actually below the, the upper surface of the skin that replaces bacteria as they get lost off the surface of the skin. That is too deep for uh, our far UVC light to reach. So again, we don't think there are going to be any issues with the skin microbiome, and there are certainly not going to be any issues with any, any other part of the microbiome. So that, 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 I think, is one of the key issues to get the public on board that uh, this is really a, a safe approach.
So I think we just about covered the, the, the subject. Far UVC light certainly appears to be a very effective counter to superbugs, which is something we really need. Do you have any prediction of how long it's going to take for the FDA to approve this? Well, this this is a uh, this is a podcast, so you, the audience can't see that I'm smiling. And uh, the answer is I don't really know. So some of the applications which don't involve uh, surgical theatres do not need to uh, have FDA approval. So it's possible they could come first. Although our initial focus was certainly on surgical theatres and surgical site infections. So yeah, I, I would hope in the next year or two, but I. Find, find it hard to make predictions about the future. So uh, thank you, David, for that very comprehensive discussion of uh, UVC light and superbugs. Sounds very encouraging, and we, we'll be looking out for items on the news in future and hope that one day this will be a standard use uh, in all sorts of walks of life. Just a reminder, please rate and review us on iTunes on the Men in Lead Aprons page. Or if you have comments and questions, please visit our website, which is crr.columbia.edu. There is a link to Men in Lead Aprons, where you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us directly.